Blog Talk Radio. Hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning or good afternoon, depending on where you are. My name is Kim, and this is Black Free Thinkers, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. And today we're going to do a wrap-up show of a four-part series, and we were talking about black women and black history. So for those that have been um, listening to the series, we talked about Ella Baker, Diane Nash, Fannie Lou Hamer. We talked about the three, you know, um, women of color that created Black Lives Matter and just a number of different people, a number of different women throughout history. We talked about how if these women had not come along and 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 initiated and start and and continue the mo- momentum of these movements, we would not have had a Martin Luther King. We would not have had a Bayard Rustin. We would not have had, you know, let's get all of this, especially what's happening today with the, you know, Black Lives Matter movement. You know, it, it's this, we're trying to make sure that these black men or men in general or even, you know, um, white people, we're trying to make sure that they do not co-opt this movement. And we're trying to also ensure that black girls and women's lives matter as well. Because you, you hear a lot of talk about Trayvon and, you know, Michael Brown and Eric Garner and all of those are tragic. Absolutely. They are Every life is important, but we also need to know who Renisha McBride is. We need to know who Ayanna Jones is. We need to know who Rakia Boyd is, and and the list goes on. So we need to make sure that we, you know, share and, and, you know, talk about the importance of all lives. You know, that includes lives of trans people as well. You know, for those that aren't, you know, familiar, you know, black trans women, they have been being burned alive, you know, killed, beaten, stabbed, just a number of things. And to add injury to insult, you have some of these media outlets that refuse to, you know, acknowledge the individual as a trans man or a trans woman. And, you know, that's a tragedy in and of itself because that's why we have this fight now, you know, with, you know, trans people's rights. And, you know, you've seen Laverne Cox, you've seen Janet Mock, you know, um, we are familiar with some people who are transitioning over, and we just want to let them know that we support them, we love them, and, and you know, speak your truth. Take your agency back. It's okay. And so, you know, we're just trying to encourage the people out there, encourage the youth. You know, it's important that we allow these millennials to express themselves. It's important that we allow these millennials to lead. They are standing up to lead. You know, there was one point in time when we couldn't get them away from the television and those game systems. And then they would have their headphones on, and whether they were listening to something or not or trying to give off that illusion, (laughs) that's something totally different because I know sometimes we all do that. We'll put the headphones on just so that nobody will talk to us, right? So, you know, these millennials, they're standing up. 
they're asserting themselves. They're taking up a cause. And this is what we want to cultivate and develop in them. You know, because, you know, other than that, I mean, we haven't seen a lot of leadership, you know, in, in our community except for the same, you know, two or three people. And they're not what I would consider leadership. You know, they're just out here trying to take up space and control the media and make it seem as though, you know, they are important. And, I'm, you know, basically I'm talking about Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton, you know, and a few others, but mainly those two. Because when this past summer, when, you know, the protesting and the unrest happened in Ferguson, they were the first ones down there, you know, racing to get there. And they, when they got there, they told the people to go home and pray about it. But that was, you know, and then they turned around and tried to send the collection baskets around asking for donations. And these young people were not having it. They booed them right off the stage. And, you know, there were videos all over the place, you know, saying that, you know, these people do not speak for me. Jesse Jackson, Al Sharpton do not speak for me. And it's been interesting because, you know, subsequent to that, we've seen Al Sharpton, you know, (laughs) trying to lead some type of march on Washington and trying to, you know, basically elevate himself to uh, the status or, you know, the perceived status of Martin Luther King Jr. And, you know, again, we've talked about this. You know, they have whitewashed and sanitized MLK's image because when MLK was out here protesting, he was not that popular. Okay, and, and it's just interesting. But anyway, getting back to Al Sharpton, and I'll come back to MLK. I'm sure Raina will remind me. But with Al Sharpton, what they did to the young Ferguson, by the way. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, hi, Raina. Hi. <laughs> um, what you know, what Al Sharpton, you know, did was call himself, you know, leading a march on Washington. And, you know, I'm not sure what the numbers were. Um, I'm hearing different estimates, but we'll just say a nice round number of about 10,000 people, right? And I think it was way more than that, but whatever. I'm not an actuary. But um, just looking at that, and what happened was Al Sharpton and the other so-called vanguards of the old civil rights movement, the ones that were present, they had told the young protesters that they would have a voice and that they would be given the opportunity to speak. And basically they were lied to. What they did, they pushed all the young protesters to the back of the march and then, you know, did not give them any slots to speak. So, you know, we talked about the young lady that hopped up on stage and took the mic. Now, you know, that young lady right there, you know, that's some moxie for you. She was like, oh, we're not having this. They're the ones out there, you know, getting beat up with the nightsticks and and being hit in the head with cans of, you know, um, you know, um, what is that stuff called? Um, You know, out there, what is that called, Raina? Tear gas, gas. sorry about that. Yeah, because they want an injunction, for those of you that aren't familiar, 
um, the protesters in Ferguson won an injunction against the police department down there for the legal use of tear gas. So it's just really interesting, and this is why we're telling you all to pay attention and to keep up with the court cases because, you know, there are legal briefs being filed all over the place. And these young protesters are winning, you know, quite a few of these legal battles. And, you know, there's, you know, a whole portfolio of attorneys down there, you know, counseling these people and helping them. And that's why, you know, I'm, I'm sending donations to the legal fund, you know, the jail fund to help get people out of jail. They were holding some of these protesters in jail just so they couldn't go out there and protest. And so it, it's just interesting. And, you know, again, I've talked about the protest psychosis from, you know, the um, civil rights movement of the 50s and 60s, and I have to read that book. And because we want you all to see what's happening because it's like it's the same Game play every time it's just different people, and now they're categorizing things a different way. But it's it's pretty much the same game, and this is why we're telling people to pay attention, and this is why we feel that history is so important, so that you can understand what's happening. Vital. If so, exactly. Mm-hmm. And for those who are aware, they are now calling protesters low-level domestic terrorists. Okay, mm-hmm. and this started with the op- Occupy Wall Street. And it still resonates now, and they're still, and, and, and interestingly well, enough. Well, really, it started it, before that, but right. <laughs> if you look right, at right, history. Right. But, but, yeah, but uh, what I'm just saying, it really came out, and the ACLU went after them really hard, you know, after mm-hmm. they started, um, you know, um, imprisoning the Occupy Wall Street uh, protesters. But, mm-hmm. you know, I said all of that to say this, is that keep your eyes open and to pay attention to what they're doing, because in New York City, they put together some type of counter-terrorist or, you know, unit in the New York Police Department to deal with the protesters. And so I want you to go, and I haven't really read a lot on that. This has been actually really kind of... Probably along the same lines of the the infiltration of um, Muslim communities in New York City, which is well-documented. Right, you know, exactly. Of mosques and whatnot. It's probably along the same lines. They send people in. They, you know, they sit there and they in the meetings and things and they note who comes and goes and, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's probably along the same lines as that, as that sort of surveillance, you know? Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, for those who, you know, <laughs> I'm just looking because anything that goes against the status quo Anything that goes against the grain is just interesting on how, you know, they feel as though they have to infiltrate it and tear it down from within. But, you know, needless to say, you know, we have to keep an eye on that thing. I forgot to make announcements, right? We're going to come back to this. Um, I want to make sure that I announce that on the last Sunday of this month, last Sunday in February, which is February the 22nd, that is the National Day of Solidarity for Black Nonbelievers. So there will be events all across the country. Basically, contact you know um, you can contact Donald Wright, and he can give you information about groups that are nearby you that are holding events. And you know, come on out. You know, we want it's, and it's open to everyone. 
it's open to everyone. I mean, I know we've had Caucasians, Latinos, Asians, people of every sort, you know, coming to this, you know, celebration, and it's once a year. And here in Chicago, with Black Skeptic Chicago, we're going to have dinner. We're going out to dinner. And so, you know, if you want to find out more information about that, you can go to our meetup group. And, you know, we're just excited about it. And so we invite you all to come and join us for dinner that Sunday. is going to be at 2 o'clock, and it's Norman's Bistro over in South Shore. So come on over and, you know, spend some time with us. And we're going to sit there and eat and celebrate and enjoy one another. And so I know with Chocolate City Skeptics, um, Randy, you want to tell them about your event, what time, and the tickets? Um, we're going to the uh, Frederick Douglass House in Southeast D.C. in the um, Anacostia neighborhood, I believe. And um, we will be there from 12, uh, starting at 1230. I mean, if you want to come, you have to, um, if you want to come on the group tour, that is. Um, you need to um, contact myself or MC Brooks um, and RSV or RSVP via Facebook in the if you're in the Facebook group or in the Meetup group, which is at meetup on meetup.com, and um, we'll be sure to make sure that you have a ticket. Um, otherwise, you know, obviously you're free to come and join us afterwards. And I'm not sure exactly which restaurant we're supposed to be going to afterwards, but there's a number of uh, Restaurants that are, you know, within walking distance. So we'll be at one of those afterwards. So. Okay, excellent. When we do the next show, maybe next week we'll know. So, you know, we'll, we'll keep that up and we'll keep you all abreast of that. And that's Chocolate City Skeptics, which is mm-hmm. the DMV area, D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. Yay! I keep, you know, calling the Baltimore. I don't know why, but anyway. So for those of you in the area, please join up. And also, this year, this October, we will have Moving Social Justice 2. And this year, it will be held at Rice University. Um, Houston Black Nonbelievers and Anthony Penn are our hosts. And it's taking place October 10th and 11th. And so more information is forthcoming from that, and we'll be releasing that. But, you know, we want to see you guys. You know, last year in L.A., it was absolutely amazing, absolutely amazing. We're just saying don't miss out, and, you know, it's going to be a wonderful time. So please, you know, join us. And Dr. Hutchinson is the coordinator of all of this, so, you know, we would like to thank her and let her know how much we appreciate her hard work and, you know, um, you know, basically, you know, feeding into our lives, feeding into our minds, because it's important. It's important that you let these people know how important they are to you and that you care about them. You know, you want to let them know now because, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes, you know, this can be a little discouraging. It really can be. So. And there's no hereafter to tell them, so. Right, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, even if it's just, you know, a little inbox on Facebook to say thank you, I appreciate it, 
And, you know, if you ask for some links to the articles and all of that, you know, for some of you all, you can just go to the hashtag Sakivu on Twitter, and there's another one, Sakivu Hutchinson on Twitter. Um, there's a hashtag for Anthony Penn. There's a hashtag for Black Freethinkers. There's a hashtag for POCBF. And the reason why I'm telling you all to go look at the hashtag is because that's where you'll find a lot of articles about what we're doing and about you know, uh, different happenings and events. But most importantly, you know, it has articles about what's happening in the world to keep you, you know, abreast of what's going on, not only in the United States, but also abroad, because um, Croatia, they canceled the debt of all poor people in Croatia. And they did the same thing in Greece over the weekend. So yeah, you know, you know what though, and 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 that's a good thing in some ways, but um, that may or may not be a good thing for them on the long run because if they ever want to borrow credit again, they may be penalized. You know right. what I mean? Right. But, but it's something. But in the short term, it's a it's a relief. You know. Right. So exactly. But you know, for us as Americans, and if you're not in the one percent. You're poor. <laughs> There's no middle class anymore. You're rich or you're poor. and But it's something for us to watch, to kind of mm-hmm. see, because, you know, we're all kind of in position for austerity. And so, you know, we need to understand and start thinking globally and watching yeah, what's yeah. happening. Yeah, you know, watching what's happening in these other countries. So, you know, I'm telling you to watch and to keep abreast of all of this so that, you know, if it starts coming our way, we'll know what's happening because, you know, again, in in some of these very same countries, you know, they've had protests because of food shortages, you know, just a number of things. So they've been out there protesting as well. And mm-hmm. this is why I say we need to come together, you know, you know, you know, white, black, Asian, Latino, Chicano, you know, indigenous, you know, whatever you may want, you know, how to categorize yourself. You know, we need to work together, and which is why I think it's important about what we're seeing with the protests, the mass grassroots organic protests that we're seeing across the country. It's important for us to pay attention and to participate. You know, for some of us, we can't physically be out there. I know I can't. You know, I can't do all of that long-distance walking. You know, the tear gas probably would, you know, land me in the hospital for two, three weeks. I just physically can't do it. But we've been supporting them. We've been sending them supplies. We've been sending them money, uh, you know, sending them little notes of encouragement. And, you know, sometimes we'll pop up to their meetings, their strategic meetings, and offer some insight at least. You know, so I'm just saying there are different things that we can do. You know, there are some people in the secular community that have been doing the same things. Um, some of some of us have been out there protesting, those that are able, you know, to physically stand that type of thing. And so, you know, it's interesting because you have some people <laughs> that, you know, um, want to look down upon you because you can't physically be out there. And, you know, by all means, I am now classified as disabled. And, and, you know, that's been, you know, known for a while. And so when people, you know, certain people would like to 
mock me and call me a keyboard activist, I actually consider that as ableism. I consider it ableism. I'm disabled. I can't get out there. I can't do that. You know, and I'm not going to kill myself. So, I mean, I'm just sitting there, and, you know, people we need to take into account different situations for different people. And so, you know, we we all know how this works here. But anyway, I'm going back to Al Sharpton and the young people that, you know, hopped the stage and, you know, took control back. It's What's been interesting about all of that is Al Sharpton, as well as a number of other people, but in particular, Al Sharpton has been out here criticizing and lashing out at these young protesters, angry because they won't allow him to lead him. There are a lot of troubling things about Al Sharpton in his so-called version of leadership, you know, and, 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 you know, some people like to call it the black, you know, um, the black elite leadership class or what have you, or the misleadership class. And so it's really important for us to kind of understand, take a step back, survey the situation. But, you know, what I would like to say, and I've been really consistent with this, and this is not the first time I've said it, Al Sharpton, it's time for you to allow these young people to lead. Get out of the way. Get out of the way. You are not Martin Luther King. You are not Malcolm X. They didn't elect you, but it seems like they're surely putting you out. And it is, when I say out, it's just it's like out of the forefront, out of the media attention, because they started this. You were the one telling them to go home. But now you want to be out here and make it seem as though, you know, you brought all of this together. No, that's unfair. And then you have people out here that are trying to co-opt this movement and tell people that they need to focus on black men. And they're leaving out an important component, which, you know, are black women and girls and black trans people. And, you know, again, interestingly enough, like I said, you know, this was started by three women of color. You know, Alicia Garza, Opal Tometi, and what's the other young lady's name? Oh, my goodness. You know, my apologies. My memory isn't working all that great, but, you know, it was three women. And so it's, it's important Um that you all, like I said, you know, you recognize them and that we include black girls and women and we include black trans people because, you know, not just black, you know, because we have a lot of support, a lot of allies. We have a lot of Latino people. The the third name is Patrice Colors. Patrice Colors. Thank you. And I don't know how. Anyway, I forget because Patrice, okay, anyway, so Patrice Colors. So my apologies there. Patrice Colors, Opal Tometi, and Alicia Garza. Those are the three names you need to remember because we will not allow them to factor them out of history. We will not allow them to factor black women, girls, and trans people out of this history. Just like they've, you know, they've factored out a lot of free thinkers, humanists, and atheists out of these movements when in all actuality, if you go back and you look at the history, which is why we think it's important for you all to know this, 
you know, all of these movements have been secular in origin. And I'm just sitting here, and that's why you hear us sometimes, and we're just absolutely dumbfounded by some people in the secular community as it stands right now, especially some of the people of color, and they refuse to affirm that black lives matter. They are not out here uh, you know, offering any type of support to these young people, and some of them are. You know, some of them are, you know, offering support, and and that's wonderful. But, you know, there are certain people who absolutely refuse. And, again, I'll go back. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. They don't want to do anything to cause discomfort to their mainstream, secular, corporate sponsors. Okay? So it's, it's just interesting, but, um, you know, you know, the, us older people, we need to step back. We need to counsel them. We need to help them build a platform. We need to encourage them. And, you know, I give, you know, a thumbs up to John Legend and his wife. And they sent food trucks out, you know, to the New York City protesters. And, you know, I give um, a big thumbs up to a lot of these, you know, um, athletes and artists and celebrities or whatever you may want to call them that are showing solidarity by wearing the Black Lives Matter t-shirt and speaking out, you know, and, and it's absolutely wonderful. And, you know, I'm proud, you know, I'm proud of them. I'm proud of what we're doing over here because with the conference in October, we will have a panel and some breakout groups talking specifically about the Black Lives Matter movement. So, again, you know, we're you know we're understanding what's happening here, you know, and it's not a full-fledged movement yet, but it's starting to come into itself. And this is why they're building the platforms. This is why they're releasing, you know, twelve point, ten point, eight point statements. I've seen so much, and you know. Um, Interestingly enough, the Congressional Black Caucus was offering training. So for those of you that are out there and listening, you know, find different groups in your area, you know, because I strongly recommend that you go and you get some training on active and passive resistance. Um, you know, that was something that I wanted to offer here in Chicago, and, you know, we still may do it. However, you know, with, with some of these cities and with some of the people in this community, it, it just seems as though there are too many people out here who only want, you know, the social aspect of it. So they only want to party and things of that nature. And there's nothing wrong with that. But at the end of the day, these are things that are going to affect you directly. And I think it's totally selfish of, you know, some people to feel as though, well, they're over there doing it. You know, they'll make it right for all of us. And, you know, it's unfair. And so it's just, it's really interesting. But anyway, so Al Sharpton, move out the way. No one is saying that you can't contribute. You know, give them your counsel. Give them your wisdom. You know, give them access to your resources, to your national um, action network across the country. You know, help them. Help them. Don't hinder them. Don't 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 try to shade them. You know. Right. And 
So, you know, you know, we're not saying that we don't need you. What we're saying is the way that this movement is being put together, that it's not about any one specific person or any one specific organization, and that should apply to all movements. These young mm-hmm. people are doing it correctly. They're focusing on issues. They're focusing on policies. They're focusing on long-term effects and consequences and making change that their children and their grandchildren can, you know, so that they will have a better life. It's not a popularity contest. And unfortunately, you see that across, and again, you know, that is what happened even with this last phase of the civil rights movement of the 50s and 60s. You know, some kind of way it started being about Martin Luther King Jr. And when he was assassinated, it's like everybody dispersed. And there has been no progress since then. And that's why, you know, we've been criticizing, you know, the black, you know, leadership um, or so-called black leadership in the community because all they've managed to do for the most part is fatten their pockets and their stomachs. And we've seen no progress because if you go back and you look and you do a comparative analysis between now and since the Civil Rights Act was passed, we're actually in worse shape now than they were in then. You know, Mm -hmm. black wealth, the majority of black wealth has been wiped out, especially with this mortgage bubble that, you know, happened to us in 2007, 2008. And, you know, it's just interesting. And then you have land grabs happening now. That is why you see, quote, unquote, gentrification, you know, in places. You know, I, I put an article up yesterday, and it was talking about Brooklyn and how, you know, it's changing. You know, you have, you know, a lot of whites buying up the property. Again, a land grab. And, you know, they like to use the nice, you know, whitewashed name of, you know, gentrification. But what it is is, is urban deportation. Yeah, people that's are being, exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's, it's forced eviction. Exactly. Imminent domain, mm-hmm. if you will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, right. you know, this is why we tell you all about this. And you have these black women out here that are, you know, bringing this information to you. They're leading these, you know, these, these protests, and they're keeping the protests going. Look, y'all, it's cold outside. And they held that grand jury verdict out because they thought we were going to go in a house because it's cold. You know, and I remember when I was that young. When you're young like that, you don't feel this coldness. Not really. You know, and, you know, it's just, it's, well, you will when you get older because, honey, your bones going to tell it. I'm telling you now. But, you know, that's why, you know, like I said, you know, I think, you know, next week I'm going to go out and buy some jackets and some gloves and some hats. I mean, you know, winter is almost over, and, you know, some of the protesters may not need it. That's okay. We'll keep that to give to people next winter. We'll give it to the homeless, whatever. You know, that's how I say, you know, to me, that is social justice activism. Social justice activism is not some white person buying you a cheeseburger, a medium fry, and a large sweet tea. That's not social justice. <laughs> you know. Yeah, social justice is not raising $700,000 to take children from inner city New York to Harvard University. 
That's not social justice. There's a whole bunch of things out here. I mean, there's, okay, you know, a, a lot of people like to ask as though, and ever, like, anytime someone does something charitable, like, that's a good thing. It's not. It's not always a good thing. You know, there there's charity that makes sense, and there's charity that just is for the uh, the donor or the person um, who's in charge of the charity to make them feel like they're doing something heroic. You know what I right. mean? And And there's a difference. You know, charity that actually aims at helping people is about empowering people to do, as much as I hate Eva Ensler, like I don't like Eva Ensler. I really, really do not like her. But I do like the concept of her, um, of her project that she's doing in the Congo. The women in, in this village, they basically built their own village. They control it. You know what I mean? They empower one another. You know what I mean? Um, they, they, talk, they tell their stories. They've, they've begun, you know, working in, uh, you know, to help one another to build businesses and industry. You know what I mean? That is right. empowering. You know what I mean? Um, exactly. Now, the, all the other crap that she does, you know, stealing people, you know, you know appropriating people's stories and, you know, right. uh, you know, and, you know, to aggrandize her own and all that type of stuff, that's something different, you know, but that particular project has value. You know, because it's about empowering those women. Those she doesn't run that city of joy; they run city of joy. You know what I mean? Exactly. At the end of the day, so exactly. And we also want to tell people not to be fooled, because there are some people out here who would not talk about racism, would not broach the subject, would not affirm Black Lives Mattering, would not affirm. You know, the fact that, you know, there are some changes that need to be made, but they want to appropriate the language of social justice when it's convenient. And now that, you know, talking about racism is popular in certain communities, now all of a sudden they want to talk about racism. Right. And, and again, and then again, even with, you know, their so-called critique about racism, you know, especially in this particular secular community, you know, it's, it's still, you know, it's, it's a non-answer. And they're putting the ownership back on people of color. When in order for us to actually dismantle or deconstruct racism in this country, it has to be done by white people. They created it. Right. And white people don't listen to black and brown people. They don't. But they listen mm-hmm. to each other. So, you know, this is why it's important that, you know, white people start talking out about racism and then putting other white people in check when when they say something racist. And then it also goes to them listening to us. When we say something is racist or offensive, instead of coming back and saying, oh, you know, that's, re- that's racism, talking about race is racism, we live in a post-racial colorblind society, no, we have to push back on that and not allow them to deflect. And see, and that's what I love about, you know, this movement here. These young people aren't having it. These black women, these black girls, these black men, these black trans people, they are pushing back. They are taking their agency back, and I love it. And what's happening with this movement, you know, with black women that are leading in in, in, in um, maintaining this movement, basically um, they're out here, they're talking about policies, 
their, you know, the public policies. They're talking about um, mass incarceration. They're talking about the prison industrial system. And, you know, for those have, who haven't had a chance, you definitely want to read Michelle Alexander's book. It's an excellent book. But, you know, black women and, and you know, We've maintained these things. That's why when we were talking about Ella Baker and Fannie Lou Hamer and, you know, Diane Nash and, you know, just a number of other women, you know, it's important for you all to go and look that information up and learn who these people are and their importance. You know, learn who Dorothy Height is. Learn who Daisy Bates is. And, 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 Pay attention to what they've done, you know, when they had the, you know, the schools, you know, teaching people basically how to go and register to vote. You know, you know, we need some of the same, you know, implementations today to teach these young people and even some of the older people that want to get out here and help about the laws in your city, you know, about, you know, you can record you know, your interaction with the police, um, you know, just different things. And, you know, it, it's just, it's interesting, but it's important. And that's why we do these shows. And, you know, we wanted to wrap it up on a positive note. You know, we were going to talk about looking for Leroy and We Real Cool by Bell Hooks. And we probably, we're going to pick that back up. And especially with um, looking for Leroy, and with that particular book, um, it's talking about, you know, black men and their identity and the different identities, especially, you know, with what a lot of black men in this country, in America, has to deal with, you know, with the stereotypes of hypersexuality, the stereotype of, you know, being criminals, all of that. All of these are false stereotypes. And we need to start breaking that down. But, you know, it, it's just it's really interesting, but it's, it's important for you all to understand, you know, what's happening. And the name of that book, again, is Looking for Leroy, and that's Mark Anthony Neal. He wrote that book. So, you know, like I said, we're encouraging people to go out and read and do the research, listen to the shows, pass it around, what have you, but do not let this movement phase out. Do not let it fizzle out because there's so many lives that are dependent on this. Um, you know, the incarceration rate, the recidivism rate for people of color. And you, you hear a lot of people out here talking about black men and, and you know, being imprisoned at record numbers. And we talk about the broken windows, you know, policies. Um, black women and girls are being jailed at the same rate. As a matter of fact, um, Raina was talking about um, some book, and, you know, I'll have her tell it to you guys a little bit later, but it was talking about um, black women who were working on the chain gang. And so I want to read that book, and we want to do a show about that, you know, because there were black women that were on the chain gang, working the railroads, you know, with some of the black men prisoners as well. And so... You know, we want to talk about these things and and bring interesting things to the forefront that people didn't know about or perhaps didn't even think about. You know, um, it's just interesting. Um, 
and I, you know, I see men all the time like, well, why don't you talk more about our issues? And, you know, actually, you know, I do want to one day do a show about um, black men who were, you know, also sexually assaulted during slavery. It happened. It happened. And so, you know, it's important to talk about these things, but we cannot allow them to factor women, girls, and trans people out of this movement. No, we cannot do that. We will not allow them to do that because, you know, by us being humanists, non-believers, you know, free thinkers, what have you, um, it's, it's interesting some of the things that you see, things that you hear. Um, some of the things that you see and some of the things you hear and yeah, somebody's calling my phone threw me off. I'm sorry. But um, yeah, you know, we can't allow that to happen. We have to maintain this movement. We have to continue on and encourage these young people. And, you know, um, earlier I was talking about how they sanitized and whitewashed, you know, Malcolm X as well as Martin Luther King, and you're you're going to see the same thing even with this movement in history, and we cannot allow them to factor black people out of black history because I've seen some of the arguments, but, you know, with this movement here, you know, these black women are taking on, you know, a lot of responsibility. You know, and, and with a lot of the black women that have been out here, that have been battling the tear gas, have been donating money, that have been, you know, packing the lunches and making the sandwiches and all that, all of that is important because, you know, when you're out here and you're protesting, you need to eat. You need to be warm. You know, you need to be able to take a break every once in a while. I mean, there are things that are necessary. But, you know, with Ferguson, they're actually encouraging some of the young people to come out to training during spring break. I put that on my wall a few days ago. So, yeah, you know, they're doing training during spring break. Uh, you know, as a matter of fact, Black Lives Matter, you know, is, is going to be a college course on that. And I really hope they open that to the public because I would really like to, you know, take a part of that and, you know, learn some things. And so it's just, you know, seeing all of this is absolutely beautiful. And, you know, we don't want others to come in and basically, um, you know, put a damper on this. You know, it's momentum. People are excited. People are out here. And, you know, I find it absolutely wonderful. And, you know, we have to keep on. We have to keep moving. Let me give you all the telephone number, 310-982-4273. Again, that's 310-982-4273. And so, you know, this is how this is going. And it's just it's really interesting. And this movement is not like the movement, you know, you're – mothers and your fathers had. This is a totally different movement, and we have to understand that. These young people, there is a reason why there is no particular person or organization that is at the forefront. They want to focus on issues and policies, 
They want to bring all of these issues to the front because, again, we've talked about how in a lot of these towns, you know, especially some of these towns that have a majority black population, but yet, you know, you, <laughs> the government is run by, you know, white people. And the policies that are put in place are basically, you know, they're making money off of these black people. They're, they're, you know, every little thing, you spit on the ground. And most people don't realize if you spit on the ground, you actually can be ticketed for that. And, you know, and, and again, you know, some of these, they, they make laws, they make them up. Some of this stuff is arbitrary. That's what happened down in Ferguson and why, you know, these young people have been winning these court cases and, you know, having these injunctions put in place because, you know, the, the quote-unquote authority figures there are arbitrarily making laws on a spot and subjectively applying it only to certain people. And, you know, when you have these fines and, you know, and, and it's like this, being poor is expensive. So with Ferguson, you know, there are three warrants per household because someone may not have paid a traffic ticket, and if you don't pay a traffic ticket by, you know, whatever date they give you, it usually doubles. And then if you don't pay that, they can put a boot on your car, and then if you don't get that boot off and pay it then, then now they're towing it to a city pound, and then you have to pay for the tow, you have to pay for them putting the boot on, taking the boot off, then you got to pay for the storage, and you still got to pay for those tickets before you can even pay for the other stuff. And this is how they make money. And this, the money is being made off the backs of black people. This is what we're talking about when we talk about broken window policing. So we want you to go and look this information up. And I know you have some people out there saying, well, you know, the black folks aren't voting. And, you know, people died to give them the right to vote. And, you know, what we want you to do also is to go and take a look. Look at what happened with the Supreme Court and the Voting Rights Act. They struck down Section 5, and now they're going after Section 2. You know, and I've said that a number of times on this show. I really do need you all to go and look this up and to understand. And, just, and it's not just that they're setting up laws that make that prevent people from voting. It's not necessarily just the laws. It's the it's the policies they put in place. So it's just exactly. like you know, a lot of a lot of districts, you know, um, they had extended voting, right? So they they opened they had early voting rather, not extended voting. They had early voting. And um, with early voting, you could, you know, you know, people could make arrangements. You know, some right. of the pl polling places had later hours, you know, what I mean? yeah, to accommodate true. people right. who, sorry, um, to accommodate people, you know, so when they're coming off of work, you know, because right. if you have to take off time to vote, uh, you know, from work to go vote, you know, that's a hassle, you know, for, for the ev everyday person, the average person, you know. And so, you know, there, there are all of these policies and things that we never think of that are not necessarily, you know, like things that must be voted on, you know what I right. mean? But just, or, or, or things of just like where your polling place is, you know? You know, it, the polling, the physical polling places may not change, but your polling place might. You know what I mean? Right. How do you find out that information? You know, some, some, some places it's easier to find out and verify that information ahead of time than others, you know? I mean, it's just, there's so many other things to 
consider when you're talking about voting than, oh, well, you know, you just didn't register or, oh, you didn't go vote, you know? Exactly, exactly. And then, you know, in, you know, again, you know, even after the Supreme Court struck down Section 5, you know, they started changing laws in, in different places. I mean, North Carolina was voting before the ink dried. North Carolina and mm-hmm. Texas made changes. And, you know, again, get familiar with the terms of, like, gerrymandering. And, you know, all yeah. of these types of things that are happening. And the Electoral College, let's just face it, the Electoral College is the problem because, it, you know, every, every, you know, every, you know, uh, every so often, you know, when we get uh, changes in Congress, these lines get rewritten. And if these, if the Republicans, which are, you know, control the House and Senate right now, you know, the Republicans are going to be redrawing these lines at some point. You know what I mean? And what they can effectively do is, to nullify the votes of people of color because what they'll do is they'll redraw the line so that, you know, a particular district that might in fact vote a particular way will be absorbed into a district that votes the way that they would like to see the vote turn out. Exactly. Exactly. And we want you to take example of a Latino community in Texas that sued the state legislature and won because they were basically find the Latino vote. And, you know, this is what we're talking about, about taking agency back in and, and going out here and protesting in the policies. You know, we need to start doing the same thing, suing them when they're doing this. But most importantly, this is something that we need for you all to understand. Okay, you know, the midterm elections are extremely important, but what's, you know, also important are your state and city elections. Because with these, you know, a lot of these governors are now Republicans. A lot of the state legislatures are now Republican. And that has a direct effect and impact on you and your lives. You need to know who these people are. You need to know who to vote for. I'll be the first one to admit, sometimes when I go to voting and I get to looking at all these damn judges, and I'm like, who are these people? You know, you know. so, you know, I've had to, you know, I've had to educate myself on that as well. You know, find yeah, out. That matters. Can... Yes, it that does. Matters. The judges, yes, the judges may matter to a lot, to a lot of us more than anything else on that ballot. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Exactly. And so, you know, I'm willing to Although admit. Although in some cases it doesn't with mandatory minimums, you know, right. but, um, exactly. Yeah, but yeah, no, so that's why I said, you know, I had to go and educate myself, you know, and because it's like, you know, I'm looking at these judges, like, who are these people? But, you know, this last time when I went to vote, I knew who they were. I knew who needed to go. You know, then we also have to understand that there are some judges that are appointed for a lifetime. So you need to understand and know that as well. And there are some things that need to be changed. You know, I believe that Election Day should be a federal holiday. And everybody has the day off. So that will eliminate some of that. But, again, you know, it's important because, you know, the changes that they're making, you know, they're basically going back to poll taxes. You know, how many bubbles are in a bar of soap? Right. (laughs) You know. And so, yeah, you know, these women are out here and these men, and they're putting their lives on the line. But, you know, again, you know, I know how we talk about black women in the church and how, 
it's the black women that keeps the church funded and keeps the church going. But, you know, that's also the community as well. And so we need to pay attention to, you know, what's happening, and, and, and even with these movements. You know, you have black women that are funding this. They started it. They initiated it. You know, and it's unfair for some people to come in and say, well, we need to focus on black men. And then women will automatically get what they're supposed to have. And that's the same thing that happened with the feminist movement and the black power movement because there were a lot of black women that were part of the feminist movement and they were basically told that they had to make a choice. And my thing is you don't have to make any choices. You're black and you're a woman. You can take part in both. And, you know, even then, the women did not, <laughs> they, you know, the men did not um, do what they stated that they would do. You know, we've posted some articles and we talked about how, you know, the men, of the black men during the civil rights days of the 50s and 60s, how they basically silenced the women. And that's what they're trying to do today. And we cannot allow that to happen. You know, a lot of people, like I said, there were two marches for the civil rights movement. The men went down Pennsylvania, and the women went down independent. And even with that, there were still some colorism issues happening then as well. So, you know, you need to, you know, uh, educate yourself on a lot of these things. It, it's just important, but, you know, what's happening now with the trans community, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm just so happy that now, you know, we're focusing on, you know, what's happening with the trans community, and we have, you know, a lot of trans women and trans men coming to the forefront, speaking up, taking their agency. You know, you can't see this smile on my face right now, but I'm very happy. I and can even hear with, it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because, I mean, we want everybody you know, you know, equality across the board. And then now some of the history about the trans community will come out because, again, that was whitewashed as well. What happened in Stonewall, that was Latino and black women fighting back against the police. And what happened in that history... Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, trans women. I'm sorry. What did I say? Well, okay, black and women. Black Oh, I'm sorry. The black and Latino trans women fighting back against the police. And that history has been whitewashed as well. Because, see, here in America, anything that has to do with history outside of whiteness, it has to be whitewashed to become, to make it more palatable, if you will, to, you know, white mainstream America. And so that's why, you know, it's, it's the whole thing is interesting. And and it's just if you go back and you look at the history of all of these things, you know, you know, it's funny. You have people out here who want to co-opt the struggle of the civil rights movement. And, you know, yes, there are different types of civil rights. I acknowledge that. Fine. But when you try to compare yourself to, you know, um, <laughs> You know, to your, compare yourself to Martin Luther King and what he went through or compare yourself to Malcolm X or compare your experience to, you know, our parents and grandparents, you know, getting bit by dogs, getting, you know, you know, uh, you know, water hose and having smoke blown in their faces 
and just, you know, having white people walk up to them in the middle of the street and beating them and killing them. You know, at one point in time, that was okay. You know, a white person can just go up to a black person and just beat them or kill them in the middle of the you street. You said at one and point it, in time, Tim? Oh, yeah, you know, yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, it's still happening today. But, you know, I'm talking, you know, this is why a lot of people in the South move to the North or would send I'm their sorry, children. I'm sorry, I didn't interrupt you, but I kind of, I'm so, still being doing, done with impunity, exactly. You know, and, you know, but, you know, um, I'm saying all of that to say this. Even if you go back and look at some of the old newspapers then and even some of the old cartoon clips, It'll show a white man that, you know, because I put one on my wall. I'm going to have to go back and find it and repost it. But it was this white man who shot a black, you know, young man in the middle of the street. And then he said, you know, I was fearing for my life. And so this is what I'm trying to let you guys know. You know, this has been that particular narrative from the very beginning and even now. And how, you know, when, you know, Zimmerman and, 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 and Mike, not Mike, um, Daryl, Darren Wilson, they were, you know, they were calling us the Incredible Hulk, the Tasmanian Devil, you know, it's, you know, superhuman. And, you know, it's just interesting. The whole thing. And, you I, mean, know, and go watch- back, I mean, and go back and look at those video, those, those Looney Tunes videos of, um, of how they used to draw black people. I mean, they really literally used to draw us like monkeys. Exactly. 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 And they're still doing it, you know, and and then they want to tell us, oh, well, you know, putting that woman's face on a monkey's body, that's not racism. Huh. Okay. (laughs) You know, and... and, Right. Yeah, you know, and it doesn't hurt anyone. Yes, it does. She's talking about about Charlie Hebdo, y'all, for those of you that don't know what she's talking about. Right. And I also want to stress, you know, when we talk about black women in history, we are not only talking about black women in the United States. We want you to look all around the world. This is why we have people around the world protesting with us. There have been pictures coming in from Korea, Japan, the Netherlands. You know, I was putting up videos of the protests over in London. You know, I mean, just all across the country, Brazil, you know, you know, we motivated the black youth in Brazil to the point that they started their own movement over there in solidarity yeah. with ours. You know, I just can't peel this smile off my face. I'm so happy, you know, yeah. about what's taking place. Stand up. Find a backbone and stand up. Fight. Mm-hmm. Do not fight back, you know, and, you know, it was interesting. You're going to have some people out here that are going to say, you know, and I've seen this, and I stopped one conversation cold because, you know, I have a lot of people on my friends list, and there was a conversation going back and forth between, um, you know, a couple of white men and white women, and they were talking about the Ferguson, you know, protests and the other, you know, Uh, protests happening across the country. And this one particular white woman was like, well, okay, the protesting is fine, but it's the violence and, you know, the guns. They don't need that. They didn't have guns during the civil rights. And I politely put up an NPR 
you know, file and that had, you know, the audio to it and in which it stated that, you know, you know, during the civil rights movement, they had guns because all this nonviolent let me, stuff let me, would get I want to I want to address this the way that I usually address this. Does anybody, mm-hmm. when we talk about the American Revolution, does anyone ever say, well, why did they use guns? I just don't understand why they couldn't have just protested, you know, peacefully. You know what I mean? No one ever mm-hmm. says that. You know what I mean? And and it's and but these people are seen as fighting for their lives and that is and that is valid and credible. But when it comes to black and brown people, the question is always why do why do we have to engage in violence? And the and the right. notion and what they're really getting at is that they feel as uh, when we when we engage in violence, it for them conjures up all of these um, racist stereotypes about our supposed innate, you know, tendency towards racism or, or not towards racism but towards violence. You know what I mean? Right. And it's just it's just and that is racist on its face. It just is. You know, I mean, it is. the idea that people can kill us. You know what I mean? Can kill us, and we're just supposed to just march in the streets peacefully is is ridiculous. Now that's not to, that's not. I'm not saying that that means that people should just go out and just you know perform retaliatory violence against white people. But what I'm saying is is that we have every right to pick up arms and defend ourselves. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's right. in the Second Amendment. <laughs> you know what I mean? So. Exactly. It's not as though when they were still in our land, you know, in Tulsa and Rosewood and in Wilmington, in Wilmington, that was an insurrection. You know, people right. like to say there's never been an insurrection on U.S. soil. Yes, the hell it has. Go and look up what happened in Wilmington. Those white people didn't come to those houses, you know, with cupcakes and brownies saying, will you please leave? You know, right. I mean, you it's know, just like. And it's just, and it's just like, you know, um, you know, and, and Kim and I were talking about this and I was talking about, you know, how I really dislike in this community, how people try to sanitize Frederick Douglass in their, in their conversations about his agnosticism and his criticisms of the church. And they like to act as though Frederick Douglass was just criticizing church and religion wholesale. But what he was really doing is he was critiquing the church and, and, and Americans, you know, belief in Christianity and this, you know, and this idea that they were somehow morally superior, right? And and talking right. about that in context with their with their racism. Like how does this fit in? You know what I mean? How does this how does the slavery and the violence that you enact on these bodies jive with your uh jive with your uh your faith, your supposed faith. And um, you know, there's a there's a um a speech that he gave on John Brown, which you can actually find on the um, on the Library of Congress archives website, right? And um, he's talking about how people talked, uh, or you know, uh, talked about John Brown in that incident, and how people were, you know, uh, saying that, you know, uh, you know, talking about all the violence that he was prepared to engage in, and and in fact did engage in. You know, of course they put it down. You know, John Brown wasn't successful in his raid, right? But, you know, there was all of this, there was all of this outrage on behalf of white people throughout the country saying, well, you know, why would he enact all this violence against the sleeping town of peaceful white people? But he, but Frederick Douglass notes that 
to to John Brown, who whose cause was justice, that was not a peaceful town of white people. <laughs> These people were enacting violence on black people's lives daily. And he was acting against that violence. You know what I mean? And so there's this there's this idea that white people in general you know what I mean? Of course, he doesn't say this, but, you know, he's, he's insinuating it, that there's this idea that that because you're white and because you are therefore powerful, therefore, you know, uh, enfranchised and all of these other things that, you know, that you you have a your scene is racially innocent. Right. As white. Right. People, right. You know, you're is, is generally well-meaning, generally good, generally all those things. And, you know, that's not to say that white people are evil. I don't believe that white people are evil. You know what I mean? But I do believe that there is, that white supremacy is a, is, is something that is so pervasive that it, 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 it impedes us from being able to see uh, violence for what it is when it's committed by white people, when it's committed by the state, when it's committed, committed right. by the United States against other countries. You know what I mean? Exactly. And so I think that I think that if we're if we're really and truly free thinking, if we're really and truly skeptical, we right. need to we need to analyze and critique that when we mm-hmm. encounter it. Exactly. And that's this thing. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. And you know, um, I'm right there. I'm right there with you, one hundred percent. You know, hell, be skeptical of other skeptics. You, <laughs> you know, right? I mean, you know, that's why I like Noam Chomsky so much. You know, Noam Chomsky right. is a is a you know very influential thinker. You know what I mean? He's but he has but he has never um, been one to go with the status quo. You know what I mean? Exactly. He's always one who is trying to, and just like Howard Zinn, Howard Zinn got put out of. Spellman of all places, you know, Spellman, you know, a school right. that was supposed to be educating young black women, you know, Howard Zinn is basically teaching them that there is an alternative narrative to history, a narrative that, that doesn't get told because it does not reflect the status quo. You know what I mean? Right. And he challenged the status quo. He challenged the way that we look at history, that, you know, that, that we should only reflect history on history that, um, that, goes, that says that the, the powerful and the, the states and, and all of these entities are good and just and, and all of these things and ignore all of the wrongs that were committed. Right. You know what I mean? Right. All of the pe- all of the people who you know who no longer exist due to genocide, all of the all of the you know rape, all of the murder, you know all of the theft, you know what I mean that has gone on, you know. Right. And you know some of us are just not willing to um, to look the other way and pretend like everything's all good, you know. Yes. You know, and I will no longer do that. I'm not going to look away. And, you know, pretend like everything is all good. You know, I'm not going to maintain silence, knowing damn well that there are some people out here, um, you know, um, just out here and not 
doing anything to benefit mm-hmm. anyone other than themselves. And so, right. you know, the whole thing is interesting, but, yeah, it's, it's important, guys. Um, it's extremely important that you get out here and you educate yourself and you question everything, not just when it comes to religion. You question everything, research it, yeah. find out everything. And so, you know, the whole thing is, you know, really interesting. Um how, you know, you have these people out here. But, yeah, you know, like I said, you know, do not allow them to whitewash your history, you know, your history. Go back and learn what was really going on. And, yeah, Rain, I was talking about that book you were talk- that you were telling me about, about how there were some black women that were working on a chain gang, you know, right at the railroad with the guys. And we got to get this book and read it so we can bring it. Because I think that would be an interesting show. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, the the, the whole entire, um, well, the main, uh, you know, that's obviously the, the part, the, you know, the part that's being focused on. But I think the larger narrative that, that, that the um, author is trying to convey is just how the definitions of what a woman is and what femininity is and how that was essentially changed, you know what I mean, to allow black women to be treated in this way. You know what I mean? That the right. protections that we, gener- that we generally think of that are extended to um, women, you know, and when we say women, I mean, I want us all to understand when we generally say women, you know, even us, and, you know, and, and this is something that, you know, I try to work on. When we say women, we don't, generally mean universally, you know, women, you know, women across the world. We're talking about, we're talking about white women for the most part. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. And so the, the protections that are generally extended to white women are not generally extended to black and, and, you know, other women, you know, what some people refer to as third world women or women of the global South. You know what I mean? Right. These are not the same protections. Um, we're not we're not seen as this, as being um, equal to those women or, or, or being deserving of protection. So these um, you know just the way that you know black motherhood is framed is just one example. You know um, I, I I remember uh, several months ago I don't know this might have been close to April or May or June of last year I remember there was a an advertisement that um, I saw going around quite a bit uh, of a, it was like some kind of baby holder, like a, like a, like a sling or something that you wear across your chest and put the baby in. And Mm -hmm. um, the one advertisement for this, uh, or or one picture, one of the promotional things for this uh, product was a white couple where the you know the white woman had was using it with her baby and her husband was standing behind her the other one featured a black woman by herself you know what i mean and you know right. it's just this person you know and then you always see these these things in the media about single black women you know what i mean and generally speaking it's it's nothing positive it's very um pathologizing you know what i mean look at i mean you can even look at bill duke you know two documentaries, you know, dark girls and light girls, and you can see how, you know, black women are, you know, pathologized. So there tends to be 
a, a way that we talk about women of color that is extremely problematic. You know, um, and and the same time that we see all of these things about about white about black women in single motherhood or single or just being single, not unmarried, right? We're seeing uh, that last year I saw an article last year where there was this white woman or where there was this article about white women who were single mothers. And they were saying how that was a smart choice for some of them. And I was and it really it really irritated the hell out of me because, you know, whenever we talk about single motherhood for black women, it is always seen as a universal negative. And that and that this is somehow. Um, uh, due to bad choices on their part or due to, you know, some other sort of pathology in the black community. And, you know, it was just really, uh, it just really frustrated me to see that this was out here being done. And I did see um, a few people who actually pushed back and critiqued that article. And I was glad to see that. But, um, but I mean, it just goes to show you that when it comes to white women, um, you know, just like white men, there's an assumption of competence. You know what I mean? There's an assumption mm-hmm. of, of, of power. You know, there's just uh, of, um, of goodness, of rightness, of well-meaningness. You know what I mean? When it comes to black women, there's no such, you know, um, there's no such belief. And I mean, if you read them, um, and that's why I love that book, Clinging to Mammy, so much. I mean, that really demonstrates um, for me... Yeah some of the some of the differences in how black women are treated and how we're not uh, extended the same sorts of um in the same sorts of uh, you know protections and um you know the benefit of the doubt i mean you're, there's one case in that book where a young white girl was um orphaned essentially her mother wasn't taking care of her um a, a black woman a black woman who i believe was her caretaker at one point ended up taking charge of the child. And the state went very hard and heavy against this woman. You know, um, primarily, I mean, and and when you get down to the bottom of it, the primary reason they went after this black woman so hard and heavy is because they didn't want this white woman raised in an environment where she would eventually maybe consider sleeping with black men. That was, you know, that was the major issue that was, you know, uh, you know, fueling, this battle, right? But, right. you know, they brought up all sorts of, um, you know, just just silly things, you know, just, just inc- you know, just wrong things, trying to, um, you know, trying to belittle her character and her ability right. to parent, you know what I mean? And it was just, I mean, they just went at this woman full, you know, full steam. And it just sort of, and, and, and all of those sorts of things, have to do with these very old stereotypes about black people and it go and it and it links to the mammy image and how you know whites after after during reconstruction had uh created this narrative right they were nostalgic for the old times and they created created this narrative for themselves that um slavery was civilizing for black people and that they that black people needed slavery in order to behave in in um in genteel ways uh, to learn how to raise their children, how to act properly and all of these things. And um, the Mammy image was central to that narrative um, because, you know, Mammy was very good with master's children 
You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But um, right. but negligent in many ways of her own. But what that narrative also misses is that she wasn't negligent of her own, uh, black women, if if negligent at all during slavery, towards their own children. We're not negligent of their own accord. They were negligent because they were not given sufficient time to devote to right. their children. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, it, it's just interesting because I'm glad that you brought that up because... Sorry. This motherfucker oh, okay. is an asshole. Driving. I'm, that's, I'm, that's, I'm sorry. I'm driving. Sorry, y'all. My bad. Oh, y'all. Y'all, you all are in for a treat. Anyway. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, my God. Don't talk about my road rage. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I'm just talking about what you, you know, what you had brought to the forefront about, you know, all of a sudden now, you know, single mother, single motherhood is fine. And the same thing, they did a show called My Baby Daddy. And it was a white people. Right. And, and and we've been put down for saying things like that or having, and it's just interesting. And what happened this week was interesting. They are featuring full figure models that are white. Yeah. You know, and, and, yeah, there was and, actually and, a really good article I saw on that. They were talking about how the plus size, you know, fat acceptance movement. And this is something that a lot of us have been critiquing for a very long time is that, right. you know, it's very, it's very focused on white women. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, um, you know, it's important for us as women of color to recognize you know, how we are being marginalized, how, you know, how, you know, years and years and years and years and years ago, right, you know, having a big butt was not something that was considered beautiful. You know what I mean? Now, all of a sudden, because there are, you have, you know, women like the Kardashians, you know what I mean? And, And white women who are getting butt injections and having all of these procedures done and finding ways of, you know, amplifying their backside, you know, via exercise and other things. Now, all of a sudden, it's beautiful to have a big butt. You know what I mean? But only if you have a certain kind of big butt. You know what I mean? <laughs> only if it's represented a certain way. You know what I mean? It has, you know, everything else is is not beautiful. It's, it's just fat. It's disgusting. You know what I mean? And right. it's just really interesting to me. It's really, really, really interesting. I mean, you have people calling, calling, uh, you know, Iggy Azalea like the queen of butts. There's this butt selfie chick that's on Instagram. You know what I mean? All of this stuff, you know. But back in the day when Sir Mix-a-Lot and, uh, you know, other, you know, other black women and, you know, men were glorifying the black woman's backside. You know, this was seen as something that was just very, 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 very wrong. You know? You right. know? So. Exactly. Exactly. So. And, you know, funny how things change. And, right. you know, and I'm twerking just is okay at- now because white people have figured out how to, you know, some of them have figured out how to do <laughs> how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so, some of them have figured out how to do it, so now it's okay. Now it's cool. It's on trend, you know. But um, exactly. Yeah. exactly. 
you know, I'm looking, you know, and I'm seeing these articles, and I know I'm getting ready to just walk away from this for a minute, but I'm going to come back to it. Now I'm seeing articles about the New York Police Department wants to take your right to vote away if you don't obey them. You know, and, and so the protest, they're, you know, basically trying to disenfranchise the vote of the protesters. And, you know, I haven't read the article and, you know, and, that, and that, I was going to say, and that, and that could be, you know, used so, um, you know, abused so easily. You know what I mean? I yeah. mean, I, I was actually looking at a program where they were talking about how, um, you know, you know how, like, sometimes, like, when you, like, you have reactions to things, right? You know, just, right. just you know, just reactions. Like if you, if you're falling forward, people tend to put their arms out. You know what I mean? And, and that sort of thing. But I was actually watching a program where they were talking about resisting arrest. And yes. some, in some instances can be taken as something as simple as you putting your arms forward when you're being pushed against something or, or thrown to the ground. You know exactly. what I mean? It could be it could exactly. be as little as that, you know, for you to get exactly. you know convicted of resisting arrest. I thought, I mean, this is ridiculous. I mean, I mean, talk about dehumanizing. This is a basic human instinct for most of us to protect ourselves. Yeah. You know what I mean? Exactly. And, babies and then do, now babies do this. You know, babies exactly. do this. They don't. They don't. All, they don't always do it successfully. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, they're trying to expand, expand, you know, you know, their police powers. And you have some police right. departments saying that if, you know, if we put together, you know, citizen oversight boards, oversight of the police departments, that they won't do their jobs. And I'm like, well, why don't you want oversight? So, I mean, again, you all pay attention to what's happening now. And because it's like, you know, this time it has ramped up. And these young people are, you know, I'm telling you, it's a different game right about now. The ball game is changing. And you I mean, I, I mean, I, I mean, even for black children, I mean, going back to the whole issue of, you know, women and, you know, and how, how we're not extended the benefit of the doubt, how we're, you know, all of these things. Black children are, speci- are very vulnerable to the effects of racism. I mean, I just saw, I saw a report about a week or so ago, broke my heart. Little, two children in middle school, one was actually severely beaten by a police officer with a baton. Wow. And asked, and, and, um, and it was, and it was for something that was really a misunderstanding. No one had hit the, the officer, but the officer had, had basically manhandled this child for, for reasons that are really unclear, you know? Right. Apparently the child was asked to come over to the police officer. The child came over, I guess, you know, the child asked why she was being, you know, asked to come over there when she was supposed to be going to class, you know, and some more things. And and I guess the officer didn't like that. And so she had grabbed her up by her collar and something. And one of these students, um, you know, saw this happening or what have you and tried to pull the student to go to class, right? Now, obviously, this is not something that, this, you know, that was wise in retrospect, but not, you know, not actually violent, you know what I mean? Right. This is, you know, maybe insubordinate or whatever, but apparently this officer really took exception to this and really began to beat 
on this on this young woman. And it got to the point that like the administrators came out and grabbed the girls and tried to separate the, the police officer and the two girls. And um, after the fight, after everybody has, you know, you know, they're trying to calm down and assess the situation. The police officer came back and pepper sprayed both girls in the face. Mm, wow. And there, and there, and they, and the, and the charges that were brought by the family, um, particularly of the girl who was beaten in the head. I mean, she was bloody. She had to go to the hospital, you know? Right. Um, those charges were dismissed by a court, even though there's video of the entire proceeding. And right. um, this is this is very typical. I mean, officers are given, um, you know, carte blanche to do whatever they want. And now there's a proposal in Baltimore City to actually allow police officers to carry guns on campus. Yes. And this is and this is supported by the mayor. Sheila Dixon, or not Sheila Dixon, um, I forget the woman's name, but the woman, the woman, uh, the, the mayor, you know, in Baltimore is actually supporting this. And it's just, it, it, it's insanity to think that this should be okay. You know, and, and this is Texas, not, no. Yeah, it's not. And in Texas, they're trying to, you know, make proposals or, you know, put together a bill that will allow teachers to take guns to class and kill students. Yeah, that's insanity. Are, it's insanity. Yeah, you know how these statistics are skewed. How right. you know which students are going to be shot dead in class? And I'm like, you know, seriously, we have to say something. We have to do something. You know, being on your knees praying is not going to get it. And that's the reason why, you know, it's like, you know, no real disrespect to Al Sharpton, but move out the way. And let these young, because see, it ain't Al Sharpton's kids and grandkids that are getting beat. Al Sharpton yeah. and Jesse Jackson are multimillionaires. You right. understand? So, you know, it, it's not affecting them. You know, they get paid right. to go away. People pay them to go away. You right. understand? And so, um, you know, let these young people lead. You know, we got if we got to fight, we got to fight. You know, there are a number of different ways in which you can fight. And so, you know, I'm like, you know, I'm absolutely, you know, like I said, astounded by what's happening. And this is why we bring this to you. This is why we tell you all about these things. And, you know, especially about how they're trying to categorize certain things, you know. So now is low-level domestic terrorism you know, you can't protect yourself if they're throwing you on the ground. And when I say protect yourself, protect yourself from falling on your head. Try to use your hands to kind of soften the fall. You know, now, you know, they're trying to make any type of what they call, you know, resistance as a felony. You know, resistance of arrest. Right. And so, you all, we got to pay attention because this is what happened with that war on drugs. And, you know, in the behind that and you know we've talked about you know I've told you all about different you know policies that were enacted and we need for you all to pay attention you know I we have to get out of this attitude well that won't happen to me or anybody that I know or any of my children look at what happened to Charles Blowson at Yale University right, right. you know so mm-hmm. it can happen to you it can be you 
then you don't want us to be out here protesting and fighting for you, especially some of you all that's out here that's not giving a damn about black lives mattering. If something like this happens to you or somebody you're close to, you want our support. Right. So, you know, whole thing. I'm just sitting here, just looking at the whole damn thing. And, well, you know, there are some changes that need to be made. And so, you know, taking it back to black women, you know, in black history, not only in the United States, but around the world, you know, and this is just based of color because you have Latino women, you have Asian women, you have Native American, you know, women. And, you know, what's interesting is, and I put a couple of articles about, you know, Native, alive, Native American lives matter, you know, because they're being beat as well. They're being beaten and raped and all of these things. And it's happening at alarming rates. So that's why, you know, I know some people are confused about why I put some of the things on my wall that I put up there. It's because I'm not focusing only on our plight. It's important for us to know what's happening with other people. That's important, you guys, and it's important that we speak up. It is very extremely important. And so... You know, you know, it's, it's beyond what happened to you and beyond what happens to your community because what they're doing to that community, they want to be able to do to our community as well. And this is one of the reasons why we kind of fight back at certain things. You know, you have some people who would like to, you know, categorize us as, you know, Christian apologists. And it's not or that we're Christian, you know. And so, you know, I'm sitting back and I'm looking at this. You know, what was happening in Ferguson and across this country, we've seen the church activity, you know, with those, those, um, you know, we had clergy, white clergy and some black clergy, sending their faces in to be the target instead of the faces of those young black men that they were using at the gun range, at the target range. You know, we've seen churches get out and have their members protest, you know, traffic. They've been, you know, organizing, you know, protests. They, in, in one picture that was extremely profound, they they did, um, what is that called? When they laid down on the ground, they did a die-in. And it was the right. church members from head to foot lined <laughs> up doing their die-ins. And I'm like, you know, where are we dropping the ball? You know, and, you know, I, you, but you know what? I'm tired of talking about it, about, you know, what we're not doing. I'm just tired of talking about it. And that's why I've just kind of taken on the attitude of, you know, when different things come to town, I go to these conferences or, you know, not really, but, you know, they, they're not conferences. They're just little meetings, you know, and I pop up every once in a while and see what I can do. And, you know, I used to extend that to, you know, a group of people. And, you know, I was the only one going from that particular group of people. So I don't even really share that type of stuff anymore. Because, it's like, you know, people are only interested in, you know, going to the bar, going to eat pizza, screwing. You know what I mean? And, and after a while, you get discouraged. You really do. And so you're like, you know, 
you know, it's like, you know, what is important in your life, you know, and so it's interesting. So, you know, you know, this year I'm pulling back from a lot of stuff, you know, because I'm starting to take the attitude. If you don't care, then I don't care that you don't care. So now I don't care and I'm not going to care to tell you about it. And so, you know, uh, and it's not, you know, this show, because we're going to continue doing the shows and bringing you all this history, but I'm talking about in real life. You know, you have people online, black people need to do this, that. You you get a lot of lip service. Oh, we want to go into the community and do A, B, and C. And then we put together, you know, a meetup or, you know, put together something and say, well, we're going to do, you know, this social justice project. And you get there, and all you see are tumbleweeds. Because you're the only one from your group that showed up. But yet mm-hmm. everybody wants credit when you do something well, right? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and so it's, it's just interesting because, you know, even with what's happening now, you know, they're still trying to silence, you know, some black women. Especially, you know, if you're a black woman out here telling the truth, and your truth is unpopular. Right. You'll have people, oh, don't talk about that. Don't say that. We, you know, what they say, sweep it under the rug or let's talk about this. But wasn't nobody talking the, to you? And take the quote-unquote, look, take the quote-unquote high road. Right. You know, nobody told them to take the high road when, you know, they were attacking other black women. Right. So, you know, I find the whole thing interesting. You know, we're supposed to take the high road while, you know, they're over there wallowing in mud on the low road having a good damn time. So, you know, I'm just sitting back. The shit is funny. Anyway, guys, check out the four-part series. This is the last part of this. Next week, you know, I think we're just going to do open topics next week. I'm not sure. It all depends on what happens in the news. Well, we didn't get to talk about the topic that we were supposed to talk about. We didn't get to talk about the book. You know, yeah, looking for Leroy or nothing. So yeah, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna do a show about you know that specific book. Maybe it'll be about a book on black masculinities, and maybe we can incorporate looking for Leroy and that that one book. Um, what bull daggers, pansies, and chocolate babies? You know, um, I'll, I'll, I was thinking I'll, more like we real cool. Um, I don't know. I haven't actually. I haven't. I think okay. that deserves its own show because that you know <laughs> that being. Yeah, <laughs> I mean yeah. that stuff about that stuff about Madam C J Walker's daughter by itself deserves its yeah. own show. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so we're telling you a book that you recommending that you go buy: Bull Daggers, Pansies, P A N S I E S, and Chocolate Babies. You know, I'm going to read. Which it is this interesting. Week. Is the pansy? Isn't the pansy like the humanist symbol? Yes, it is. It yes, is it a human symbol. Yay! <laughs> free thought symbol. Actually, it's a free thought symbol. For, for free thought symbol. But that it was it's a, a free white thought pan. symbol. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah white pants. So, yeah, you know, woohoo. So, I'm going you know, to dig that book up. Y'all, I got mountains of books. And so, I'm going to have to dig that book up and read that this week, and I'm going to go over looking over Leroy, because I'm not done with the um, latter part of the book, looking for Leroy. So, I have to finish that up. And so, um, 
you know, we've talked about that. We're going to come back to these things. You know, we're going to talk about black masculinities and perceptions and that, you know, that's that's geared towards the looking for Leroy. Maybe we'll do looking for Leroy next week. Where Leroy at? Where Leroy and Tyrone? Oh, goodness. You know? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> See, looking for Leroy? You know, usually Leroy and Tyrone yeah. are hanging out. You know, uh, sometimes so, Leroy isn't hanging out with Tyrone. Sometimes he hangs out with other folks. But we'll see. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you know, sometimes he's you know hanging out with Bartholomew. So you you know, yeah. um, you know that's it's it's interesting. But um, do you want to talk about and address this Michael Shermer interview with Sam Harris? Uh, you know, we got. 25 minutes left and um you know it's it's interesting i'm like part of me don't want to talk about it because it's like you know people will be going out trying to buy the book and we can't even get them to buy black authors you know but if you all get a chance check out interviews sam harris had with michael Shermer. And Michael Shermer is a libertarian, and he's um, one of the people out here who are saying that there is no such thing as a um, wealth inequality gap. And even when you read this article, you know, the only time he refers to black people is when he's talking about the context of slavery. And... um, you know, it's interesting here. You know, at one point, you know, he didn't talk about disenfranchised blacks and women. But, again, it was in the context of slavery. It's just, it's it's interesting. Because he's one of the people out here who feels that we should not necessarily address race. And that we live in this post-racial society. And this is, you know, one of the things that we're dealing with over here in the secular community. And I've made this statement on several occasions, and, you know, I did it last week on Twitter chat. And I was talking about how the atheist community, as it's set up and as it is right now, is built on white supremacy because everything is centered around whiteness. And in particular, white, male, cisgendered, you know, educated, wealthy men. That is what it is based on. And this is why we get pushback for having, you know, you know, black groups, you know, Latino groups, gay groups, you know. And, and you know, it's interesting because, you know, they want to say that we're being divisive by, you know, having all of these, you know, particular special groups. But um, they want to say that we're being divisive by having these separate groups, but then they don't want to address issues that are important to us. Right, because they exactly. Yeah, they sure as hell didn't affirm that black lives matter. But, you know, a few of them did address racism after, you know, um, the shooting of Michael Brown. And if you go and look in the comment section, you know, people were angry because they felt that the articles that these organizations wrote were geared and biased towards Michael Brown who in many of, you know, of the comments, they felt that Michael Brown deserved it and that the police were the good guys. And so, you know, you can understand why there's some fear on their end. But, hell, you know, waking up black every day, walking out the house, a black person, I'm a black 
I'm a woman, I'm an atheist, and I'm you're LGBT. Queer. Right, yeah. as you say, and you're queer. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm like, I am a moving target. The fact that I yeah. wake up in a moment is an act of resistance. You understand? Mm-hmm. Yep. This is what we're trying to let people know. Just the fact that many of us are waking up. We were not expected to survive this long in this country. No, we were not. And you, yeah, and you all need to understand when you hear these people saying they want their country back, you know, basically they want to put us either back in slavery or they're going to build some big boats and send us on our way. Okay, that's 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 what some of them want, and you need to or understand. They, no, and no, there's alternatives to that too, because because the uh, the other alternative is also to lock us away, which they're doing rather effectively. <laughs> right. And, yeah. And then also, there you can just open up hunting season, which is essentially exactly. what they've done with all of these, you know, these miscarriages of justice that have been going on. You know. Exactly. So. Exactly. And so that's why, you know, when we point to the Tea Partiers and we point to them saying we want our contract back and you hear us talking about them wanting a, I'm trying a to new social get through here, but y'all are just, sorry, are you talking I'm, to me I'm, right? I'm driving, no, I'm driving in oh, okay. D.C. and, you know, D.C. driver okay. assholes, but anyway. Oh, yeah. but yeah, no, we, when I point to the Tea Partiers and we talk about them saying that they want their country back. Um, you know, it, it's about them getting a new social contract, right. you know, and, and, you know, we've talked about this and there's a bunch of things, you know, we've talked about and we're just going to have to come back and reinforce some more because we have an archive. We have a hell of an archive, you know, right. and you know, we've talked about a lot of different things, but we're going to have to bring it back up because we have new listeners and, you know, all of these things. But, um, yeah, you know, at the end of the day, you know, it's really interesting. So, um, you know, we have a caller, ain't us? Oh, goodness. All right, go ahead. Yeah. Okay. All right, caller, you're on the line. May we ask who's calling? Hello? Hello? Can you hear me? Hello? Hi. Yeah. Hello? We can hear you. Go ahead and see. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, um, I just want to say I, like, I like um, disagree with you uh, with the libertarian situation. Because mm-hmm. um, liber- I'm a libertarian, and I believe uh, any true libertarian believes that everybody is, should be free and everybody should be able to do as they please, like, as far as gay marriage or whatever, wherever the case may be. Um, and it's, it's just like, it's it's a lot of libertarians, well, people that claim to be libertarians that are, like, racist. And right. And it's just further in their agenda. But, I mean, people that's true-hearted uh, libertarians actually believe that, um, you know what I mean, everything, like, like if you you should live your life how you want to, like as far as drugs, your sexual preference, or whatever the case may be. So I mean, okay, I, I, want to, I disagree. But I do I do okay, love the premise of the show. Uh, basically, uh, yeah. Go ahead. No, I mean I understand. But I want to ask you a question. So you know, what do libertarians believe in regards to 
the wealth inequality and the systemic institutional racism in the United States? Um, wealth inequality. Um, I mean, it's it, I guarantee it's a diversity of opinion on it. Um, I believe, me personally, I believe that it's definitely a a gap, and um, I, I think it's more of crony capitalism portrayed as capitalism when it's really not, and um, mm-hmm. like where uh government does business with uh, other businesses or that's on the democratic side that usually happens that way. Like um, I have a, like say a, somebody has a cousin in the office or something and he gets a contract with, uh, with, you know, doing something like lawn service or whatever the case may be. Yeah. That's, that's a uh, and crony. That's, that happens often. Yeah, that's, that's crony. That's crony capitalism. And um, on the Republican side, it's more of a, them writing the rules to the game and changing it to fit people that uh, that's basically funding them. So, I mean, on both sides, it's messed up. But on the libertarian side, I believe in capitalism where you just uh, stop trying to change the rules and uh, stop giving favors to people and just let them so, compete with themselves, among themselves. Okay, so I guess my question to you is, do you or do you not see capitalism as, you know, one of the cornerstones of racism in this country? Uh, no, I don't. I, um, I'm thinking, uh, uh, and what about, and, and what about this? I mean, what about the fact that, that inequality is built into capitalism, that you cannot really have a fully functioning capitalist system without um, inequality. Without inequality, how's that? Yes. Um, so because, wait, wait. What do you? Uh, what do you believe in? Uh, because, opposed to capitalism. Well, I mean, I believe it. Well, I'm not. I'm not saying that capitalism is entirely bad, but I, I do think that we should have more of a socialist democratic system, like like the Netherlands and other countries. So. That's what I believe. Okay. Okay. I believe that um, we should. I, I believe that we're responsible for one another. That we did, that we essentially our our survival is dependent upon one another, and that we should right. look out for you know the elderly, for you know for disabled people, for you know for able-bodied people, for for children, you know all of these things. That there should be some social safety nets built into the system. That, yeah, definitely. Um, but I, I don't. I don't think people. government should be the one providing it. I well, don't, if I don't government, government doesn't does. provide it, then if government doesn't provide it, then who provides it? Because if if I mean, you have the people, a I mean, fully, the people, churches, the people are going you can, you can, uh, you can. It's uh, going to basically my, come down to whoever is willing to pay the most. I mean, look at the education system, the way that the way that Republicans and libertarians have basically influenced our education system. We now have a voucher system that has robbed public schools of their of their money. And so we're at a point now that you can only get as much education as you can afford to pay. And that's not that's not the kind of world that I want to live in. I don't want to live in a world where people can only um, afford, you know, basic education if they have, you know, a hundred or, you know, 50 years, you know, however many right. thousands of dollars per year, that's not the world I want to live in. So right. I don't know. I, I, mean, I haven't seen any, any, uh, anything that to me substantiates the view that 
uh, we can simply depend on um, private enterprise to work. No, not necessarily private enterprise. It could be uh, non-profit churches or. Yeah, well. I don't oh, believe. I just don't believe in that because the 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 bottom line is is that all of those rely on on people's largesse, and there's actually right. evidence to show that you know the the rich are not giving out nearly as much money as exactly. you know we think they are. Okay, you know, I, I'm not pro rich. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think uh, in my opinion, I think uh, capitalism frees up the game. Uh, for everybody to have access to more money, because really, this America is run by money. It's, it really is. Uh, and capitalism, like, uh, they screw. The game is uh, is rigged, and the only way to get through it is to stop writing rules to to you know give favors to this person or contracts to this person. You with know, other when, you know, you want to know when we had laissez-faire, true laissez-faire capitalism. You right. want to know what that was. We had Wait, slavery. Uh, that, again? that was laissez-faire. Laissez-faire capitalism is is what is what supported the institution of slavery. That was exactly. laissez-faire capitalism. That's what you get when you have laissez-faire capitalism. That you have indentured servitude, you have serfdom, you have slavery. That is what laissez-faire capitalism is. That no, is no where we're headed now. No regulation. Yeah. That's right. That's the right that they're trying to lead us into now, which is why it's important, which is why we're attacking the policies while we're, you know, stressing that we need to get out here and, and you know, basically put, start putting this back in their faces. Because, again, you know, when you go back and you look at how, you know, the United States economy is built, you know, it is built that a certain percentage of people are unemployed and underemployed. Right. And, and and if it ever falls beneath that percentage, this country would be bankrupt. Right. I don't I don't know how that works, but I know uh that they benefit off of it because um it keeps it keeps people motivated to work harder, you know, because um, they can still be replaced by somebody so easily that's unemployed. But I don't know how that works. Oh. What you're saying? I just believe that giving everybody access to, to money through uh, being able to start a business like a, a, a barbershop without a whole bunch of regulations, which keeping a whole bunch of people out but who can't meet those regulations. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, but they like, need not, regulations. It needs to be yeah, regulated. They definitely, they definitely do, but, it, <laughs> but I, I'm not, uh, no, I'm not completely against all regulations. I'm just, it's like so many regulations just to, Right. 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 Yeah. No, but honey, I mean, there's a reason why I'm kind of messing with you a little bit with that is, you know, they need to, you know, you know, we need the regulations to tell them that they need to clean the clips. They need to soak it, you know, it's right. all of these, because yeah, I mean, there was um, like a Paul a couple of years ago. Yeah. Rand Paul, who was talking about, he didn't understand why uh, there was a regulation that made it so that restaurants had to cl- uh, make their employees clean their hands or something. That's what I'm just you know? getting ready to and talk about. Like, I'm getting ready to talk yeah. about the hand washing thing. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, that is just simply ridiculous. You know what I mean? It's just, you know, it's, it's that 
kind of uh, of well, I gotta uh, I gotta look yeah, into that. That's, that's kind of funny. That, Exactly. Yeah, because of libertarianism that just borders on insanity, <laughs> you know. So okay, so let's, since we have him on the line and we're talking to a libertarian, we may as well take advantage of. I mean, we got nine minutes yeah. left, and I didn't feel you know I wanted to go into that Michael Shermer, Sam Harris thing, but you know you already saw the other day when we talked about it, talking about that article wears me out because it's like I just it feels like we're just one big ass circular argument with some of these people. But um, since we have a libertarian on the phone, I'm trying to remember the question I was going to ask you. Um, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I was going to ask you, oh, Ann Rand, what's your opinion on her? Who? Ann Rand? Ann Rand. Mm-hmm. I have no idea who that is. <laughs> oh, well, she's the I mean, one that started. Uh, she's the one that what? She was the one that's, you know, she's like the libertarian Shiro. So you need to go look up Ann Rand, A-Y-N, and her last name, R-A-N-D. You know, and, okay. you know, understand, you know, where she stands in libertarianism. And, you know, I, mean, you know, I, think, we're confusing, I think we're confusing the, the, the people for the, the philosophy. Yeah, but she created the philosophy. That's what I'm saying. She created the libertarian philosophy. So you have people like Scott Walker, Rand Paul, and, you know, all of these people, and they are heralding Anne Rand, and they sing her praises. And so their philosophies and ideologies are based on what Anne Rand brought to the table. So and Anne Rand based her philosophy off of essentially um, her family was rich in Russia until the Socialist Revolution. They had everything taken from them. And so she basically believed in the opposite of that. She believed in a system where rich people would basically be able to do whatever they want, acquire as much wealth as they want at the expense of poor people, you know. Right, and and the reason why I'm, you know, saying this to you, young man, is because, you know, you're a libertarian, that's fine. You know, my thing is question everything, but you need to understand the history of what you're claiming, you know, because, I mean, we can sit down and tell you about secular humanism. We can tell you about free thought. We can tell you about atheism. And if you're talking about libertarianism, I, I strongly advise you and anyone who's listening who, you know, do your research. Understand, you know, who these heroes are, who wrote this, who instilled it, and, and, and then also, you know, put it in contrast to the black community and see how these policies and how these people felt about black people and, you know, how, what they feel about black people or people of color now. It's important. So, you know, it's like, you know, I don't want you to think that, you know, I'm chastising you or anything. No, I'm actually yeah, I'm encouraging you to read. You know, that's why I'm giving you her name. You go back and read up on who she is and you, how this is applied. As a matter of fact, I forget the name of the city, but it was one city that turned itself into a quote-unquote libertarian utopia, and it failed miserably. So, you know, mm-hmm. you know it's like... If you're a libertarian, that's fine, but you need to understand these things because it's only going to either make you a stronger libertarian or it's going to make you question a lot of things and you're going to start seeing things. Because, I mean, I'll tell you, I used to be a Republican. I was a black Republican. Yeah, me too. Yes, yes, yes. And then I lived a little. You start finding out more. (laughs) 
Right, yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I lived a little. Now I'm independent, you know, but, you know, the thing is, is that, you know, like I said, I want to encourage you to go out and read and to research. Question everything, baby. Even, you know, yeah, you know, yeah, you know, and, and I just want to encourage you to do that. And so, you know, I mean, we didn't beat up on you too bad today, but, you know, <laughs> I was asking specific questions for a reason. I'm asking you these questions and kind of boxing you in a little bit because, you know, and and I appreciate you when you said you don't know. That's good. See, I can appreciate somebody saying that they don't know and they need to go and look it up and read about it. You do that as opposed to people when they don't know the answer, they get offended and they're ready to attack you. You know, so you stuck in That's why I love the the premise of the show, uh, basically saying, you know, you're not – trying to force anything on anybody. You, you, no. You're encouraging people to think. You know, with a lot of uh, people, they try to say that their way is right, but it's on the person to figure out for themselves to figure out what's exactly. right. Exactly. Well, I'm going to tell you that libertarianism ain't right for black people. <laughs> like, <laughs> you have a right to believe whatever you want. I'm going to check it right now, but, you know, just like, you know, we used to be to church and religious and we kind of, you know, educated our way to a certain degree and then experienced some things our way out of religion, you know, he's going to have to do the same thing with liberty. It may even make him a stronger libertarian. I don't no, know. It, it but may. People, it may. It may. Right. I, I acknowledge yeah, that. I, I just, like I said, yeah. I'm going to tell you, Raina Rose <laughs> said no. <laughs> I mean, I know you got a lot of uh, research on it, but it could be uh, biased information. I'm, you shouldn't close your mind to it either. I mean, right. it's, yeah, it's, exactly. I, mean I, I learn something every day, and there, you know, my mind right. has been changed. Come back on this show and corrected myself and apologized. You know, and I'll be doing it again because as you you learn and you grow and you evolve and you develop, you start learning some things. Because I used to be one of those black people out here saying that black people need to pull themselves up by their bootstraps, and you know, right. and you know, all but of that I also stuff. Wanna, I also uh, want to say that you know, um, regardless of whatever system that you support, right? It's not necess- It's not always necessarily that the system itself is bad. I happen to believe that the system is is bad for black people, right? Libertarianism, right? And capitalism in general, I feel like, is not a system that benefits people who look like myself, poor people, black people, women, right? But um, I do acknowledge that, uh, but what I, what, I, what I really acknowledge is that um, all systems, right, are, are systems where people can build inequality, inequality into them. You know what I mean? Right. Because we yeah. have these racial biases and what have you. So um, that's what I acknowledge. There okay. you go. And I also need people to understand the system that America is built on. Because a lot of people, they claim, I read the Constitution, and then they turn around and say America is a democracy. No, it's not. We live in a limited republic. Oh, and you all need to go. Ooh, no, yeah, it's not. You know, I saw the spot first, asshole. I promise you. You will not get this spot before me. Sorry, Kimmy. My bad. And all that, so, and all that no, get ready to close out the show. <laughs> we saw this spot. We saw this spot. You'll be okay. <laughs> I'm 
sorry, buddy. Don't have your name on it. It don't have your name on it, boo. Sorry. I don't see no name. Sorry, no, that's right. <laughs> well, man, you look that up. You look that up and... Yeah, definitely. I'm going to look it up and I'm going to call back uh, when I get enough information on it. Definitely. You said... All right, what is it? Anne, uh, Anne, What's her name? Anne, 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 Anne Paul? Uh-huh. Anne Rand? A-Y-N. Yeah, A-Y-N. She, she, Anne. She's a white lady. <laughs> oh, I'm going to download this uh, podcast, so I'm... You don't have to spell it out for me. Uh, but um, but uh, she's the All one right, that uh, invented the libertarian standpoint. standpoint or well, she's philosophy. like their shero. She's their shero. So you just go and look it up and do some investigating, um, do some independent research, and then get back at us, okay? All right. Bye. All right, honey. You have a good rest of the weekend. Thanks for listening. Thanks for calling in. Okay? All right, bye-bye.